been here a couple of years, so I'm still, you know, wanting to make sure introduce as I come up and speak periodically. I'm Mark Heilman and, and Diana, and uh, Rory and I joined the uh, um, the elder board uh, within the last month or so. So. Uh, we moved here five years ago uh, from Dallas-Fort Worth area to be up here closer to our kids that live in Auburn. And then my role, uh, work outside of here in our neighborhood is I work as outreach manager for the city of Bellevue. So we're going to talk about that just a little bit. So the passage that uh, Rory shared this morning, we're going to mention here in a few minutes. But uh, Ben has a number of times along the way over the last couple of years that we've been here, has talked about the difference of doing things for God or doing things with God. And that has been a very great reminder and change for me um, that we kind of grow up. I think our initial desire is to do things for ourselves and then we kind of grow into maybe we'll do things for other people and then we do things for God as maybe kind of a transactional sort of give and take sort of thing. But there's something very different about being with God and then doing what he prompts us to do. And not just deciding to do something and asking God to be with it, but being with God and out of that relationship, deciding and sensing what he wants us to do. And that's difficult for me. Um, I probably don't look like a stubborn person, but I am. I kind of like my ideas the best. Um, I'm not looking at my wife right now to see what expression is on her face. But I am somebody that likes to do things my way, and I am ever so joyful when God likes me to do things the way that I'm already doing them. But when it's generated from knowing God and responding to who he is and what he would have me to do now, that's really being with God. And that's a difficult discipline for me. So today we're looking at a couple or three passages, and then we're going to kind of talk some specifics of some application ideas. So today we're talking about in our neighborhood with God. Uh, a couple months back when I spoke, talked about at work with God. And what does that mean to, to work with our coworkers, to do our job, to learn at our job, to be productive in a way that, that comes out of our relationship with God. So first, I uh, want to look at Mark 12, 28 to 31. Ben and Lauren and I kind of went through this passage several months back, but we're going to do a little bit more uh, practical dive in this, in this passage and, and kind of some others that go along with it. So Jesus had the same response to two different people. And so here's the first one. This is a scribe that as he is listening to Jesus interacting with people and interacting with his disciples, the disciples arguing about something and Jesus giving them a response. Uh, Mark 20, uh, 12 and verse 28 to 31, it says, And one of the scribes came up and heard them disputing with one another, and seeing that Jesus answered them well, the scribe asked Jesus, Which commandment is the most important of all? And Jesus answered the scribe, the most important is, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one, and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind, and with all of your strength. The second is this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. So it seems, if we're reading this, and it, it seems pretty clear that Jesus is saying, these are two different things, but it's one commandment. And it goes together that as you love God, you are going to love people. If you genuinely love God with your heart and your mind and your strength, out of that is going to come a love for the people that he loves. And that's 8 billion and the people that have passed prior to the 8 billion that are here right now. There is no commandment greater than these that you shall love your God and you shall love your neighbor as yourself. You know, I think for most of us, that's, that's not an unfamiliar passage or an unfamiliar phrase. Yes, that's what Christians are supposed to do. You're supposed to love God and you're supposed to love your neighbor. You know, the whole idea that we love our neighbor we're not going to go on to the next passage too quickly because that phrase, love your neighbor, 
uh, we're going to parse out a little bit, but I want you to just kind of think about that a little bit, that, that Jesus doesn't say, and this is part of loving our neighbor, but doesn't, Jesus doesn't say, I want you to notice your neighbors, or I want you to acknowledge your neighbors, or I want you to be kind to your neighbors, or I want you to care for them, uh, I want you to chat with them. All these are just kind of normal things that people should do. Um, I don't want you to just pick up their, you know, their trash bin lid that's blown and you bring it back to them. What I am telling you as not a suggestion or a life sort of thing, but as a commandment is to love your neighbor as yourself. To love your neighbor as yourself. There was uh, another guy, and this is the one that we referenced a, a few months ago, Luke 10. So the first guy is the scribe. He's receptive. He's seeing that Jesus has credibility. He's asking, what's the greatest commandment? And Jesus said, the greatest commandment are these. <laughs> love God and love your neighbor as yourself. Another guy came to Jesus and asked the same question, but really kind of in a different way of, what do I have to do to be saved? And Jesus said the same thing. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, heart, mind, soul, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. So the second person that got the same response said this. And the passage actually says in Luke 10, for this guy that asked the question, trying to, desire, to justify himself, said to Jesus, and who is my neighbor? How many of you have raised a 13-year-old? I don't need to say anything more, okay? So 13-year-olds, love you, going to love you more in the future, enjoy you more in the future. But can you kind of hear this? And who is my neighbor? Like, is this three people or seven? How many people do I have to love to be okay with you? And so Jesus is going to respond to this guy who has said, and who is my neighbor? How much of this loving business do I have to do? And Jesus replied, I'm going to tell you a story now. And again, this is a story we're familiar with, but we need to hear it well as if it's a command from Jesus with response from us. Jesus replied, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho and he fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. And as I was growing up, there was kind of the focus in messages on the two guys that, that failed, that didn't do what they were supposed to do, went to the other side of the road. They're pretty common. We really don't have to spend a whole lot of time on them. But a Samaritan who was not someone who was loved by the Jews, or typically Samaritans loved Jews either, there was tremendous conflict between. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where the man who was beaten up and half dead was on the side of the road. And when he saw him, he had compassion. He went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day he took out two denarii, coins, great worth, and gave to the innkeeper saying, take care of him. And whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. So it's compassion without a limited budget on it. And so Jesus says to this man who's saying, how many neighbors do I have to love? Jesus said to him, which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? And he, the man that was asking, said, the one who showed mercy. And Jesus said to him, you go and you do likewise. Now, usually we call this story, it's been called for a very long time, the Good Samaritan, when in fact it's, it's the merciful Samaritan. It's the one that had compassion and acted in Jesus and also this kind of confrontational guy both acknowledge this man is merciful. He's merciful. Um, so today, I'm going to kind of merge what I get to do um, in my life and work and then volunteering and then kind of talking with, with you as friends. One of the things that I really love um, that I get to learn in my role 
um, in learning about Bellevue and learning a lot about our needs, about our community. A lot of what our responsibility is, there are 40% of people to, in Bellevue, and it's comparable on all of these side, 40% of people in Bellevue uh, were born outside of the U.S. So part of our connection is, our responsibility is helping people make connections and to feel like they're in home in Bellevue no matter how long they live here. It's a, it's a pretty significant, it's a pretty significant thing and um, something that I absolutely love being able to do. But I've tried to kind of learn along the way. So what's, what else is happening in Redmond? What's happening on the east side? And um, started working with the Human Services Commission for the city of, of Sammamish. So kind of as I talk now, I'm kind of talking east side where we live and some of the things that I've learned as I've met, met individuals. So Tommy or uh, Christine, if we could do the first slide here. Let's see kind of how we go through. Um, one of the things that I've absolutely loved over the last year or so is I've started watching for when there is a new, new pastor in Bellevue. And I will reach out to them and just say, hey, I would love to do a driving tour with you around the city of Bellevue. Um, and I typically say we can do the two-hour tour or the four-hour the four tour. Uh, everyone has taken the two-hour tour so far. <laughs> but... All of them have said, can we do the second half sometime after we've done the two-hour tour? They don't know me. They don't know how painful this is going to be. But it turns out to be such a wonderful thing that we drive around and, and we talk about, you know, here's some of the history of strawberry fields and, and Japanese that were displaced. And here are some of the things, here is one of the places that... that we have concerns about suicides happening. Here, we're gonna walk a little ways and you're gonna see a homeless encampment. And we're gonna talk about kind of the difficulty and what's different between the different high schools and demographic makeup and that sort of thing. And what are some of the stories that I've heard? And then we kind of get up to the top of Somerset Hill and we look down and we pray for their ministry and for my ministry. And it's just a wonderful thing. So I'm kind of doing that with you all today, of a bit of a, What's happening on the east side? As Jesus says, love your neighbors. <laughs> Who are our neighbors? One of the things to remember with the merciful Samaritan was the neighbor that he was compassionate and then merciful to didn't live next door to him. <laughs> he was somebody that he met as he was just going about his business. Somebody that was on the side of the road that required medical care and compassion. Jesus said, I want you to know, I want you to love your neighbor and someone that you don't know the name of and is in profound, life-threatening need. Up to that level, that person is your neighbor. So that's kind of why we're kind of talking about what, what's happening on the east side. So this is something that you can find. Prefer you not Google it right now, but if you need to, if you're a little distracted, you can. But I'll have this at the end. You can look this up. It's like a 50-page report. Most cities have these to, to get funding, federal funding, state funding, and, and stuff. So they will do an annual, here's where we spent our money on human services, or they'll do it every other year. And what I like about Redmond, part of the reason we're going to reference Redmond, is they do surveys with um, a statistically valid survey with residents, and then they sit down and do interviews with them as many people are, are willing to. So we're gonna see a little bit from that. So you can look this up, it's like a 50 page report. These are our neighbors. <laughs> so we're talking about this on Sunday morning and there's some really interesting things that the city of Redmond was willing to ask the residents. So next slide, please. So uh, you can kind of see a little bit of things that they report here on things that we have done in the last year and I kind of highlighted there some things that would be good for you to notice. Emergency financial help to more than 180 families. So let's say that's 350 people. Improved mental health for more than 6,500 residents. So mental health issues, I think Redmond's about 80,000 people. So about 8% of people. City of Redmond commit, committed funds to we see at least 8% of our community is in profound need of mental health um, assistance. And then 3,000 nights of shelter provided to unhoused individuals. This is Redmond. Uh, this is Redmond. 3,000 nights of shelter for unhoused individuals. Next slide, please. So here are some of the things that the, the company that did the, the survey for the city of Redmond found. And I first love the question that they, 
that they asked. What do you think needs to happen to make Redmond a better place to live, work, play, worship, and gather? It's just interesting to me. I don't know if, if City of Redmond particularly wanted that in there, if that was the survey company, but the answers that we're getting, people have heard the word worship and gather. What do you need? What would make our community better? And here are some of the things that, uh, that the City of Redmond found. Redmond community members are eager to find solutions to their feelings of isolation, mental health issues, and to access basic services. People shared that having places to gather, easier access to services, activities, and to build community would make Redmond a stronger community. Next slide, please. We've got three of these here. I really want you to hear what folks have said. Again, what do you think needs to happen to make Redmond a better place to live, work, play, worship, and gather? Um, many service providers, so these would be folks that work with kids, um, just all sorts of serv uh, service providers, um, working with families that are in challenge, uh, seniors that need food, kind of that whole range of services. So many of those service providers, and many of them are really struggling right now to be able to provide um, salaries and funding for their staff. I mean, lots of agencies have lost uh, folks that just like I can no longer drive from Maple Valley and work here in, in Redmond. But those service providers have mentioned that there's a diminishing sense of empathy and belonging. So this is what the community is saying to the city, and I would say most importantly saying to Christians. We're not seeing on our community, an we're not seeing people that are empathetic, and we are feeling a sense of loss of belonging. We're missing empathy and we're missing belonging. Responses from the community questionnaire show that young people ages 12 to 24 feel their highest need is for mental health services and for counseling. I think most of us would say we, we see how that can be true and is important. Next slide, the third one. Um, so this was the, the summary. Uh, there are two Redmonds. One is visible and celebrated where community members live in, in abundance. And that's most or all of us. We live in abundance. We have choices. We're not stressed by, by the next meal. But there are also folks that are hidden and stigmatized where community members struggle to make ends meet and access the resources that they need. Kathy's going to talk in a few minutes, but we saw that as we did Friday night food trucks for, was it one year? I've lost track now. It was one year. Well, we did Friday night food trucks and had between 120 and 160 people that would come uh, for a free meal and would visit. And some folks would stay for, for quite a while. Redmond community members feel isolated and are disconnected. They desire genuine connection with the rest of the community. Is that just kind of a good place to end this message and just say, people want what Jesus offers. <laughs> They would not necessarily say it that way or invite that, but there is an opening with people that are really in desperate financial and most importantly, spiritual need. People are longing what most of us have experienced and are desiring for that to be true for themselves, even if they wouldn't express it the same way that, that we would initially. That they desire genuine connection with the rest of with the rest of the community. Go to the next slide, please. Um, this is tough, and I'm, I'm really editing the story. Um, a year ago, it was the weekend when we had 105, 108 degree heat. This was the Saturday. Um, again, I'm editing, and I'm trying to be really careful here, but in my role with the city, I got a call from someone um, who I know pretty well um, that was upset about their neighbor's daisies were growing into the sidewalk and they weren't getting appropriate response from, from the city, okay? I'm just gonna mention that and leave that there. So I went and took a picture so I could upload it and let folks know, here's, here's the challenge that this resident has mentioned. But literally as I took the picture, I looked across the street and this is what I saw. Again, this was the 105 degree Saturday. Uh, I wouldn't have taken the picture, I wouldn't share it with you, except the lady uh, is under the blanket, um, the mint green blanket there in the middle. And she was there for about five or six days. Several of us dropped water uh, by. I didn't, it was hard to tell what she had. Lots of times she wasn't there. 
but the visual for me was, um, boy, like the rest of our community, we can be so focused on the thing that has just become so big that I've started calling this lady Daisy just kind of for me to have a handle. But we can focus on the daisies, the overgrown daisies, or we can focus on Daisy. So those things that are annoyances, that are frustrations, and some of them are real, those daisies, okay, I'm not going to say anything more. There are real frustrations. This is a real need. And as Christians, we absolutely must be focused on Daisy and not on the daisies. There are individuals in our community, extraordinarily wealthy, um, that are in life and death situations every single day. Um, so about a year into COVID and kind of things I'm going to share are, are public things. We've got on our website, you can find this um, if, you want, if you knew where to hunt. We've got just a spectacular, spectacularly bad way to find things, but you could find it if you knew where to find it. Um, we did about a year into COVID, so it was April 2021. We did a gathering of folks to talk about how do you handle stress? Um, the lady that did it was from a brain science standpoint. There are things that she shared that were helpful. Um, if I was a presenter, there would be other things that I would have shared as well. We only had about 40 people show up. It was an online thing, but it was fascinating. We did a survey ahead of time, which I'll share a couple things in a minute. Again, they're public, publicly accessible. But we had a couple of folks on that call that's like, these are some of our most challenging people, a couple of them. But as we went through this hour and a half of talking about stress, it's like, oh my goodness, I'm hearing things come out of these couple of folks that I would have never guessed the tenderness and the need. Um, so next slide, uh, this was the thing that we did, survival tips in times of stress. There was a sign up on 10th Street, I think. But uh, out of that survey, we did a survey in five languages. I think we had 500 people that responded to it. Um, one of the responses that we got was, next slide, was this. And then having it translated, this is what that said. So next slide, please. That's all it said. And so this, to the best of my ability, is something that informs my, my day. Because these are people that are in the same grocery store, walk the street, um, some of them I know, some of them I don't, but we have a community of lonely people. And when they can do a, a confidential survey, an anonymous survey, they will say, I need people. And I know they need Jesus. Next slide, please. We did an event, Please trust me, I'm not talking about city events and what we've done. I'm trying to share with you our community and some of the things people have responded to. We've said a number of times, we have our, our known people that will come to stuff at, at City, Hall, city Hall. We're glad to see them. It's always great to have new people. And we said, you know, what are some ways that we can make connection with people that we would never meet any other way? So we did an event uh, called Welcome to City Hall that we did entirely in Mandarin. We were hoping to have, it's kind of like, okay, this will be a success if we get 30 people to come to this thing. Uh, we had to cut off RSVPs at 120. Like, we had more people that wanted to come and we just couldn't handle it. And it was a pretty simple day. We did some things. We met city council, met uh, police chief, fire chief. We work for you. Even if you can't vote, we work for you. Even if, you know, you're not a citizen, we work for you. You're, you're a resident. Um, you know, learn about trash and recycling and, and water and parks, things that people care about. And then we had conversations uh, at tables, just, you know, what do you want to know? How can we help you? And as folks were leaving that day, and I'm telling you, this was the most exhausting event that I've ever done. It was more exhausting than our daughter's wedding. Um, <laughs> um, but as people were leaving that day, I talked to about half of them. And I said, how did things go today? What would be good for us to know? How did it go today? And people are gracious. I mean, they got a free meal and it was, you know, air conditioned, it was all that. But there was, there was one family that came that was four generations. And I think this gentleman that I was talking to was probably mid, mid 80s. And um, he translated, I think, through his granddaughter. 
and said to me, I finally feel like I have a home again. Now, we didn't do anything. That was, I mean, they learned about recycling and water, and we're glad to have you here. That was it. I finally feel like I have a home again. We had a bunch of folks that were taking pictures of, them, of themselves around City Hall and sending it back to their original home, to their family, to show what they were doing. It's like, this is a really pretty simple event, and it was a big deal to folks because we did it in their language, and it was just a great thing, and we plan to do them in, in the future in Spanish, um, et cetera. So, yeah, just that idea of we're going to do something in your way to help you the best that we possibly can. Uh, next slide, please. So kind of thinking of Friday night food trucks, um, as I do some of those driving tours with pastors or visit with Christians from other churches, I will mention, you know, there, is, there are a lot of things happening in the community that we don't have to program and we don't have to pay for. We can show up and establish relationships with people. I mean, doing the Friday night food trucks is something we joyously did, but it's pretty expensive. Um, and, you know, it took work. And I mean, it was, you know, it was December. And we're putting up and taking down tents and stuff and stuff. We all look back on it nostalgically and with joy. But, you know, those January nights of the tent and fire and all that sort of thing was a challenge. But, you know, there is, there is in Bellevue, North Bellevue Community Center is basically a senior's center. There are folks, we did something wacky a couple weeks ago where there's one room with people that all speak Russian and they get together and do crafts and it's almost all seniors. And that, so there's, there, there's folks who are speaking Russian, there's about 30 people there. There's another room with about 40 people that only speak Spanish. And then there's a room with a choir, like 15 people that only speak English. And so we got headsets, translator stuff for seniors. We'll do something a little differently in the future, kind of working with technology with seniors was kind of an added layer. Um, you know, I, I remind our staff, okay, you gotta look through the eyes of Ruth Heilman, my 83-year-old mother. That's not gonna work again. Let's not do it that way again. But we had everybody in the same room and we had um, an English speaker, a Spanish speaker, and a Russian speaker all tell their story. And it's just interesting the things that they would share. And it was, it, was, it was chaotic. It was goofy. We will never do it that way again. But, I, I, okay, so if I could, it's not public, public, but I tell you what, an older Russian guy that's slightly upset sounds really mad when he's speaking Russian. It's like, oh, we're going we're gonna to listen to this guy here. Uh, but we learned something. So it's kind of this chaotic sort of thing of three different languages and stuff. But when the, le the lady from Cuba talked about coming to the U.S., you know, 10 years ago, and then that she has adult twins, and one of them has passed away at age 40, it's like all of this kind of goofy cacophony, like as people are hearing this in their language, it felt different, and it was quiet, because you've got all of these older people that are hearing this lady from Cuba her child died. So there's kind of that connection sort of thing that we're kind of experimenting with and figuring out how do we pe help people to feel at home. And from my perspective, I'm doing my job. I'm doing what the taxpayers pay me for, but I am learning things and trying to show grace, you know, and just being a representative of, of Jesus as I'm Talking with the English speakers was, was my group. But City of Redmond is, and we're helping to pay for this, is doing a senior and community center. They will start doing programming when that thing is built. Um, this may not fit you, but some folks to go and serve and help and do some of the same things that we did with Friday night food trucks. I'd say the largest group of folks that we had were seniors, right? The single largest group. Some of them will be at the senior center when this thing opens. So there's opportunity to do that in the community. And again, as I tell pastors, you can't be dependent on people coming into your building on Sunday morning at 10 o'clock. And people are doing programming and gathering people together that you can encourage your folks to go and have relationship and develop um, with other people that doesn't involve it happening at your place. Because that's not what most people are going to do. Uh, next slide. Uh, cultural conversations. Again, I'm just talking the stuff that I know, but 12 years ago, uh, there were a couple of women from a church in Bellevue that became aware of a trailing spouse, wife, 
um, who took her life, um, isolated, some of the things that we talked about later, and they said this shouldn't happen in Bellevue. So they partnered with the city, and it's now our program, Cultural Conversations. Um, seven of the programs a year are just women, and one program is, is anybody, uh, men and kids and stuff. But seven times a year, come together to learn about other cultures and make, and make connections. And people just, just absolutely love it. And we have kind of some almost personal conversations, depending on where people are going or where they're at. This is the kind of thing you're welcome to come to. It's kind of like, I don't know who to serve. My, my neighbors aren't open to me. These people are open. And it's just a fascinating thing to have folks that have said, I've come here to talk about my culture and to learn about yours. It's wide open. It's wide open. Uh, next slide. Um, every year in the fall, in September, the cities on the east side participate in Welcoming Week. And it's basically focused on how do we um, learn about and welcome our neighbors who are refugee, are immigrants and, and refugees. I've gone to a number of things along the way. Some of it has stretched me. I mean, some of my you know, political stuff and all of that sort of stuff, it's like, well, how do I process this? But to go as a learner and a listener, it's kind of like, okay, this is where my neighbors are. This is what my neighbors believe. This is what they need. Um, this is how I love my neighbors is to give value to where they are right now and to learn what they're, what they're struggling with. Any number of things, any number of things like this. Um, and then last slide, or maybe the next slide. Yep. So just kind of keeping in mind, we're going to kind of narrow in a little bit. Um, used to be, didn't have any idea what your neighbors were thinking or what they were worried or stressed or angry about. Well, now we know. <laughs> we know what people are ticked off about. We know what to pray for. As you see things, whatever social media you're on or whatever news you watch or whatever, things that people are upset about is our entry to know what their need is. What people are goofy about tells us how to pray for them. Um, and some of them, all of you have had this experience, people that you've been close to that are now like, what? this is now their beliefs. I never knew that. There are things to pray for, not to just be aghast over or concerned about. We know how to pray for people because they're telling us, I am stressed about this in my neighborhood. Okay, now I know better what the makeup of my neighborhood is and where the entry is. This person is fearful. That's something that Jesus addresses. It's not the first conversation I'm going to have with them, but I know that fear and self-protection is something that's important in my neighborhood. Uh, next slide. And you never know what's going to come out of that. I would encourage you. I'm going to emphasize at this point, all of us are different. <laughs> I've got certain giftings, and there are things that just flat out come easy to me. It's just who God made me. And... God commands, not suggests, not ask. God commands all of us to love our neighbor in the way that he's going to empower us. Um, so there's limits. You know, things I do are not going to be exactly what you do. But if you're with God, you're going to do things that surprise you. So in your neighborhood with God, you're going to be able to do godly things. Um, Diane and I are different. Um, she can sit on an airplane next to somebody and have a three-hour conversation. It's like, nope. All of my compassion was expended in the TSA line. I'm done. <laughs> I've had as much close relationship if I, as I want to have. But she will talk to somebody for three hours. We're different. You're different. You're different than your spouse. And you're going to be different in the years to come if you are with God. <laughs> you're not just different from other people. You can be different in the years to come as God empowers you and, and lays on your heart things people that are very important to him. So as you see a for sale sign in your neighborhood, pray for who moves into your neighborhood. You may be planning to be there for a long time. New people are going to be there. And they are people to, to smile at, to welcome. And you may have, it may not go any further than that, but you've done that. It's kind of like, well, what next? What is, what is the opening? Uh, people are moving here from all around the world. When I was a kid, to be a missionary meant you're going to a dark place, you're going to learn, need to learn a new language and a new culture. The world has come to us. And by and large, they've learned our language and they at least know and have chosen our culture. They're here because they want to be here. And we have the opportunity to, to be friends, 
lead to neighbors and see what God would have us to do in loving and serving them. Um, on the right, things in your neighborhood. So like in, in your neighborhood. Uh, you may not be the person that's going to do a neighborhood block party. That's part of what my group does is we coach people on how to do a neighborhood block party. It's fascinating that everybody that thinks about doing a neighborhood block party, no matter how bold or whatever they are that they come with, they're all nervous that nobody's going to show up. So I would just say, if you're not the planner of a neighborhood block party, just go. Go for 10 minutes. Or if you can't handle that many people, go half an hour early and help set up chairs. Or if you can't go, it's like, I just can't go, send a note and thank people for doing it. We would be there, but. But somebody that's taking an initiative in your neighborhood, respond to that, whatever it may be. Um, so kind of thinking of our neighborhood, I have tried to, to kind of put myself in the position of, of other people and kind of understand as they come here, what does that feel like? A couple of weeks ago, I was with our son in France and had a couple or three days where he was working, so I was kind of doing my own, my own thing. And I just kind of had on my heart, you know what, I want to walk around as if I had to live here, and I had to come by myself, and this is my only option. What would it be like to live in another country that was like, it's, it's, it's this or I don't survive, this is where I go. It's so different to visit a place for a week and a half and be fascinated with the quirks and the food and all of that sort of thing, all those wasted consonants that the French have. Um, but it's like, well, what would I do if I had to live here where I wasn't just visiting for a week and a half, but this is where I'm going to live the rest of my life because I have to. There was a sign on the pedestrian bridge out in front of our son's apartment that was in French, and it's like, notice, Saturday, and it's like, I don't know what next. Something is happening on Saturday at 4 o'clock. Is this a, a happy thing or a protest thing? And so I'm like having to Google what's happening in our neighborhood. And I found that slightly annoying. It's like I've got to look up. If, do I avoid the bridge or am I going to the happy thing on the bridge? We have got so many people in our community that have had to come here um, as elders, as seniors, or as kids um, that are adapting to the very best that they can. You see them in the grocery store. I see folks walking on 228 that's like, wow, that person grew up walking in another hemisphere and they're walking here for exercise in clothes that I would not be able to pull off as well as they do. But they have come here for a reason. Maybe they're happy about it, maybe not. But as I have opportunity in the grocery store in my neighborhood, just to knowledge and notice, what would I need if I had to live in France to be able to survive. I kind of look and it's like, okay, well, there's two English-speaking churches. I, you know, who knows? I think, I, think I, could, I think I'd be okay there. I don't know. What would I do if I couldn't find my people? You know, what if there's nobody like me? Or not even people like me. What if nobody liked me? It's <laughs> like I was a consistent annoyance to people because I was an American. What does that feel like to just be yourself and be like, stop it. Stop being you. Like, everybody feels that, and you feel it yourself. So trying to put myself in that position, what would, I, what would it be like if I had to live where I didn't choose? And I was a constant, not just periodic, but constant annoyance to people. Um, I think this is our next slide. Sli last slide. Oh, yeah, Christopher Michael. Uh, I'll tell this very briefly. Um, first year we were here, I rode the bus back and forth from our home because I could. I met Christopher Michael on the bus. <laughs> he and I were both. I can do the bus because it's 20 minutes. It's not the same as a three-hour flight. I'm friendly on a bus. Um, <laughs> so Christopher Michael and I met each other, and I think we rode the same bus for six or eight months or something like that and learned a little bit of his story. He ended up speaking um, three years ago at Cultural Conversations and sharing his story of growing up at Garfield High School. And just that opportunity to say, your story is interesting. Come and share it, be one of our speakers. I won't share what, he's, what she said, but his mom is standing next to him. And just her gratitude of her son's journey and travel and story being valuable to other people and that her son was at this stage was a great joy to her. I don't know her name, but I think it was mostly for her. I don't think it was even for, mostly for Christopher Michael. It was for her. It turned out okay. 
here's my son. He's done well. So I don't know, you know, kind of where you're going to be this week, um, where you're going to drive, where you're going to walk, what grocery store you're going to be in. You know, as a kid, I thought when I heard the story of the Good Samaritan, it's like, yes, if our neighbor, Mrs. Winkler, was in the middle of the road, we didn't even have 911 at that point. I would dial the seven digits to get the volunteer firefighters, rescue people there. It's not just that. It's not just Mrs. Winkler. It's not just Mr. Bachman up the hill. Jesus said, the people that you don't know, people that everyone would assume that you are distant from, don't understand, have animosity to, that person is your neighbor. Up to the point of doing personal care for them and trusting that whatever they spend while you're gone, you're going to pay for it. Up to that level, that's how you, that's how you love your neighbor. I'll leave with the final thing, final slide here if you want to look this up. Kathy, I'm going to have you come up and talk about just how does loving your neighbor with God, how has that affected you over the last period of time? So, Kathy. Mark asked if I would share a little bit about um, how God has spoken to me through serving others and what were the challenges maybe of serving others, um, particularly those people that I don't know. And I must admit that God has grown my faith uh, a lot over the years through serving others, but probably never as much as when serving people I didn't know, or sadly, I didn't choose to know. But most recently, while getting to know people I didn't know before, God has deepened my awareness of the truth that every human being is created in his image. Every single person is loved by him, has worth and value, deserving of his grace and his mercy, and deserving of being loved. So I asked myself, if I am truly living as the image of God, am I really seeing others as God sees them? So I asked God, can you show me? Most of us are familiar, uh, fairly familiar with the words comfort zone. And I know that I find um, life much more comfortable when I'm living within my selected comfort zone. Uh, not only the things I choose to do or the places I want to go, but the zone also create is um, including those relationships that um, I will choose because I'm comfortable with them. And, but most likely, probably, if I were to look a little deeper into creating a comfort zone, it probably has something to do with controlling my fears, but that's another topic. Um, I'm not one of those people that will sit and talk to my neighbor on the airplane <laughs> very easily. But a couple of years ago, after my husband Greg died and my grieving body was attempting to make sense of life without Greg, God called me to step way out of my comfort zone. He said, read the book of Luke. Don't just study it, but be in it. And I felt as if I was with Jesus. I made a list, a long, long list of the people Jesus encountered. And then God spoke again, and he said, you, go be with those people. Now, I've never found it comfortable to walk up to someone I didn't know and introduce myself or start a conversation but, of course, God knew that, so that's where he led me. Um, and um, I joined Stephanie and Josh on the Mercy team. Um, and God did begin to bring many opportunities to be with people that I didn't know. Uh, Stephanie introduced me to people that were quite unlike myself, yet like me. Um, people with life circumstances very different than mine, but people with needs just like me. Um, God would say, um, see that person over there? Go introduce yourself and say hi. And I would say, what? Uh, or he would say, see that person over there? They have a story to tell. Go listen. Or, um, you know that new neighbor in your neighborhood? Invite them over for coffee. Go say hi. Um, and so it began. God did open my eyes and my ears and my heart to see the people in my neighborhood with his eyes and heart. He, he also helped me to see them 
as created in his image. And, and then he grew my desire to be in relationships with them. Um, yes, as part of mercy, we do strive to meet the needs of others that have um, compromised life circumstances. But more and more, in that position that was, I, I was, I was um, in, but more and more, God spoke into me the desire to get to know these people, to be with them, to be with them, with God, to be the love of God. But it's still hard, though. Um, I do have a difficult time, and it's awkward at times to be the in initiator of the conversations or to even pick up my phone and make a call. So I pray, God, please help me, push me, uh, be my motivator. And it has also become challenging once in a while to be patient with others that I meet, uh, especially in circumstances that involve working with systems and processes um, that we need to be a part of to help improve their quality of lives. So at this time, I will pray, God grant me patience. And I also, like you were saying, Mark, about your ways versus God's ways, well, I also have to step back at times and uh, sort of let go when serving others that because I want to serve them in the ways that I think are best, that I think are right for them. Uh, but God does know otherwise. So in these situations, I constantly have to pray, God, keep me humble. Mercy begins with humility. My pride will get in the way of your mercy. But I think the hardest thing of all for me in um, reaching out to people that I didn't know and begin to know is not knowing how the stories turn out. Uh, in these situations, then, um, it's hard because I really desire that in all the new relationships I make, that those relationships become relationships with Jesus. But God says, just keep praying for them. And the other truth that I think God has impressed upon me uh, more fully is that through all of these divine opportunities of being with my neighbor, with God, it is only by the grace of the Holy Spirit that God can love my neighbor through me. I believe it is the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit that enables me to take those faith-filled risks and reach out to people that I don't know, to share God's love with those people. And I have to stand firm on the promise that's found in Zechariah, not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. It is God who creates the desires, the opportunities, the abilities, and the resources to love our neighbors. It's like God is saying, I've got this. You can do it. And I pray, praise be to God. Thank you, Lord. I'd like to close by uh, reading a prayer from the book of summertime prayers called Divine Hours. It's a personal prayer I prayed every day this past week uh, in the morning prayers, and I think it's appropriate for all of us this week, especially as we now go out to seek to be in our neighborhood with God. Oh God, you have taught me to keep all your commandments by loving you and my neighbor. Grant me the grace of your Holy Spirit that I may be devoted to you with my whole heart and united to others with pure affection through Jesus Christ our Lord, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God forever and ever. Amen. Thank you very much, Kathy. We're going to complete with the passage that, that Rory led at the beginning, read at the beginning of the service from Galatians 5. Um, 13 to 16. Paul says, for you, you were called to freedom. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but in contrast, through love, serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. But I say, walk by the Spirit, walk with God, Walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. 
So the contrast is the desires of the flesh are walking with the Spirit, walking with God, and loving my neighbors. Loving my neighbor, loving my neighbors. That when we walk with him, things will happen that we would never anticipate. Because it's not because of our power. I mentioned one last thing, and then we'll, we'll close for the day. Um, I'd asked if I could share the story of my friend uh, Don, which he said, yes, definitely could. So my friend Don is probably my most introverted friend. He would say he's antisocial. He says that just to kind of keep people a little bit of a distance. But a few months ago, he and his wife had their tree trimmer come out and trim their trees. And during those couple of days that he was there, they learned that, one, the tree trimmer was um, living in his car and was about to have cancer surgery and then was going to have chemo. So Don, who by his own <laughs> admission or would say, I'm antisocial, said, you know, God just laid on our hearts for this guy to come and live with us. Um, during surgery and then chemotherapy. Um, and that's been a great thing. And they've seen, you know, this man's heart soften. My point being, God may call you. In fact, you know he has in the past and it's been okay. God's called you to do things that you would never guess that you would do. But if we're doing it with him, it will be a good thing. I also want to emphasize as well, as we minister to our neighbors, they're ministering to us as well. It's not that we've got all of the answers. There are other Christians in our neighborhood. There are other people that don't know Christ that we can learn from. So just to know, we go into not trying to make things right in the world. We go trying to serve and to learn in the way that we can when we're with God. So Tommy, if you guys would come and lead us, we're going to take communion together, and then Tommy and, and Brett will finish us out today. Um, the reason we have something to offer is because of what Ben taught about last week, about the crucifixion and the resurrection. And as we take communion, we are reminded of the body and the blood. Um, this isn't about us and us being our best people in our neighborhood. It's about bringing an eternal Savior to people that are looking, that are looking for genuine community without really even knowing fully what they're asking for. We're all seeking Jesus together.